and welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dyster. And if you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review, it always helps. And let us know how we're doing as well. But my guest this week is from Global Results Communication, and he is the person that manages all the content, all the nice content you see on social media. But it is Justin Petticelli, and he is, he's been around for quite a while. He's done collaboration with information technology, e-commerce, marketing. He's done strategy for Toyota, UC Irvine Health, Cal State Florida, and other organizations in CPG. And he's just done tourism, transit, and IT. So he's got a wealth of knowledge for us, but welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you very much. First question as all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? I am a coffee drinker, and although to be fair, I probably like creamer more than I like coffee. I like a nice dark roast with a lot of creamer. It's basically dessert. Ah, so what's your favorite creamer? It's a lovely creme brulee flavored creamer that I buy at Vaughn. Shameless plug for Vaughn. Nice. Hey, you got to love your coffee, so do what you need to do. Anyways, moving on to content in how content is becoming king, or that's what we've been saying for quite a while. So what does make compelling content in 2020? So first of all, I will say I learned this from our CEO, Valerie. So I got to give her credit for this. Content is king, but context is queen. And if you know anything about the, the queen, the, the king might be the head of the kingdom, but the queen is the neck, and she tells the head where to go. So... Context is queen, and so I want to say that content has necessarily changed really for 2020, but I think what really has changed is the context. Obviously, when it comes to content, there's two things that, there's probably more than two things, but there's two things for me that come to mind first, and that's you want to be strategic and you want to be genuine. And so that's where we come into 2020, being this very different animal, obviously, with so many different things going on. The world is upside down and or on fire for a number of reasons. The other side of this is that, and not to dodge the question too much, but everything is content now. As a brand especially, no matter what, anything you do or say is content because even if it's not content for you, if you're not careful, it might be content for someone else. So I think you need to be, again, you need to be strategic and you need to be genuine. There's an army of people online waiting for you to make a mistake. You need to know what to say and when to say it, but you also need to maybe know when to say nothing. Think of the old Bugs Bunny cartoon where they hold up the sign, is this trip really necessary? And of course that refers to the old fuel rationing campaigns from World War II, but when you're going to say something, whether it be on social media, in an op-ed, in an ad, is this trip really necessary? Do you need to say this? And I think, so just to go to the elephant in the room, which is COVID and everyone's response to COVID, um, whether it be internal or external, this idea, there's this temptation or everyone feels compelled maybe to throw their hat in this ring, but maybe you need to, maybe you don't. I think one of the big things that has changed about public relations and about content in general is that there's the old thing about there's no such thing as bad publicity. I think that has changed. I think because when that, little idiom or, or saying, or whatever you want to call it, came to be, it was mostly true because the publicity came 
from a much sort of much smaller pool of sources. So the idea being, well, as long as my name's out there, people know who I am and they know what I'm doing, so there's no such thing as bad publicity. But I think that's changed a lot because a lot of companies create their own bad publicity, not so much by some mistake they've made, although it certainly can be that. But a lot of times it's just not paying attention to tone or timing, things like that. So sometimes you just have to know when to sit it out. Think about these brands. And again, through no fault of their own necessarily, but there are brands, there are organizations, there are people who have been very successful, made money, have done a lot of great things during this year, during the pandemic. But as a brand, if you're out there talking, saying, oh, we're all in the same boat and we're on your side and yada, and there's an army of people out there saying, you've made $500 million this year and I got a check for 1200 bucks. So are we really all in the same boat? So I think, again, what makes content different in 2020 isn't so much the content itself. It's just the environment. And just, it's funny because I mentioned to you earlier, I'm usually on your side of this conversation and there's ways that these two worlds can collide. And perfect example is Joseph Epstein from the Wall Street Journal and this op-ed about Jill Biden and why she shouldn't call herself doctor. Why did you need to say that? This guy wrote 700 words on something that nobody really needed to hear and so he was had been a guest lecturer at northwestern and it was a nanosecond before they said oh no we don't know this guy anymore and that's a perfect example of just back away log out take a nap because sometimes you just don't need to say anything so i think again the main the the, the, the main way that content has changed again is just the environment and you really need to have a heightened sense of awareness about not only what you say, but when and how you say it, tone. And so to me, that is really the big thing. And I get what you're saying, but for a lot of brands, I think they should stay out of a lot of different things. So how should brands figure out what they should say and what they should not say? Is it more towards what their industry is? Is it more towards what they think is acceptable level for people to read because it seems like a lot of brands go into a lot of different type of maybe social political things and it's just stay out of it maybe focus on your product instead of what's going on in society how do you navigate that that's very interesting because i went on this big diatribe about learning when to sit it out but at the same time I think it is definitely a give and take. So I think about when a lot of the, uh, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations were happening and, and things like that. And just something as simple as a, a sports franchise. I'm a big hockey fan. I love my Anaheim Ducks. And they, they posted a very simple message of support and unity on to their social media outlets. And, and suddenly you have all these people who say, oh, stick to sports. I don't, I'm not going to be following the ducks anymore because you got political. And the thing is, they didn't really get political. It was a very innocuous and yet still a meaningful statement about unity. It wasn't really political at all. It was just a human being saying, let's be nice to other human beings. So there's always a balance. You, maybe you should you say something. And if you feel like, again, if you are in a position to do something about the situation, 
that you're commenting on, whether it be if you're a business or an individual, if you're a business that and I guess all businesses deal with, with inequality on some level, but if, if you're in a, especially if you're in a position to directly affect the situation or to give learned commentary about it, whether that be through your own experience or what your company does, or again, especially if you're some sort of a, if you're a public figure and you feel like you can even if you don't feel like an expert on the topic, you feel like you have a platform that's so large that people will listen to what you're saying and you, you say the right thing, a lot of people will hear it. Of course, that's a double-edged sword because if you say the wrong thing, a lot of people will hear it too. So, again, you really just have to read the room. And I guess that's why people like us have jobs. We, we, we need to know when to defer to other people's expertise in terms of reading the room. We need to learn to defer to other people's expertise in terms of Crafting a message that's intelligent without sounding too sort of boilerplate or dry or opportunistic, it really is a minefield because you want to be out there. You don't want to seem apathetic about the situation. You don't want to seem uninformed about the situation. But you also don't want to seem opportunistic or there's going to be people out there who are going to jump on you regardless and think that you should say nothing. And they're going to think that you're not, it's not your place to stay. But at the end of the day, I think if you're authentic about your stance and you're mindful of your tone and you're mindful of the people that you're trying to help, being empathetic to the situation but not pretending to, there's such a thin line between having empathy and acting how they feel when maybe you don't. So I think, again, it's just you really have to, to circle the wagons and get other people involved. And, and make sure that, again, strategic, authentic, and just genuine and, and really being mindful of how you go about it. Mm-hmm. It's more the adage that nobody ever agrees on anything. It could also just be people are in different groups. And so should brands on social media understand that part? Is You're just going to always make somebody upset. So do your best to craft a message because you can craft a message and someone would take it the wrong way regardless because this is written it's still written if you do a tweet or something like that unless you do a video right if it's a written word people will always misunderstand it because they're basically talking in their own mind in their own tone they absolutely are and i think so the goal is and it sounds like a weird goal but i think if your your goal should be not your goal but you should think about it this way is that i'm going to craft this message and i believe in it and i'm going to stand buy it. And if the only criticism is, because a lot of times this is the main criticism, is that you shouldn't have said anything, then I think you're okay. Because those people, you were never going to say anything that was going to make them happy. And again, I think, because I know I just talked 10 minutes about sometimes saying nothing, but at the same time, there, there is a time where saying, saying nothing is going to make you look, it's going to make you look uninformed, it's going to make you look like a coward. And so if the only, if the, if the majority of the criticism centers on, well, stick to sports or we don't need to hear from you, so be it. But there are people who will appreciate your effort, again, as long as it, it feels authentic. So I, there's always going to be someone who just doesn't want to hear anybody else's opinion. And so there's that line between not worrying about those people and, again, just being authentic enough that you can stand by it. As long as you can stand by what you said, and you understand where it came from. And again, that goes back to not 
thinking about it, measure measure twice, cut once, and, and getting some other people involved and, and, and making sure that whatever you put out there, whether it be a tweet, a video, a photo, whatever that might be, a, a commercial, whatever the, the, it may be, that whatever it is you believe in it, so that when somebody says you shouldn't have said that or I disagree, you can tip your hat and just say, that's fine and I respect you for that, but I believe what I'm saying. As long as you believe it, I think you're going to be able to stand up for it and stand by it. All right. And speaking of content, should PR pros actually learn how to audio edit and video edit since we're going more into those types of media formats, especially with social media being more heavily focused on those two formats, especially video, should PR pros get some basics on understanding of how to edit these types of different types of content? Um, yes, I think they absolutely should. I, I am going to back up and, and be the grouchy old man for a second and say that. But before they do that, they should all really make sure they know how to write. Granted, I'm, and I come from a journalism and pure writing background. When I even back when I was in school, they had courses that were called writing for public relations. And I think one of the big one of the big misconceptions is that that if you go into if you're in that sort of journalism PR sort of shared universe when you're getting your education that it's a this or that if I go into PR I won't have to write so much because I don't really like that and I think that's a big mistake if you go in thinking that way you need to know how to communicate regardless of what you end up doing and, and writing is the second oldest way to do that so having said that I do think video and, and sound and other kind of multimedia editing skills are would be great and important to learn. We should all be as well-rounded as we can. And the other side of that is that it's become much easier. So there's not a lot of reasons to avoid it. Just as something as simple as video editing platforms like Camtasia, and I'm not trying to show for that product, but it's really easy to use. And it's a really has a lot of different uses. So there are a lot of platforms like that are very user-friendly in terms of, of editing. If you're talking about even like longer form video and, and things like that and as far as as audio goes too i think i've actually and, and here we are doing it right now i've actually been fascinated by the, the relatively recent sort of rise to prominence of the podcast it's such an interesting dynamic to me because podcasts at least in their basic form have been around probably since what 2000 eight or so they've probably been around before that you've heard about people who had podcasts before then whatever around 2009 2010 when adam carolla lost his radio show and he started this this podcast and was kind of the first guy to monetize podcasting it was that was 10 years ago but in the last two three years it's become this sort of it's almost like this like retro chic medium now because it's like radio but it's more of an on-demand and it's more of you can pick sort of the topics you want to hear or the people you want to hear. And when you hear about the, the different the different experts and the celebrities and, and people like that who, have, who take the time to, to, to do this, because this is pretty time-consuming considering relative to other forms of communication, right? It's easy to post on Instagram or Twitter or whatever else they, they do in, in two, three minutes, whereas this takes a long time. And you see these people who are, are very prominent and I think they just really like it. That, that's the only explanation I can come up with. It's 
I'm sure they make a few bucks off of it and, and people enjoy it, but I think they really just enjoy it. People getting together with their other famous friends and that's actually fun. It makes people look human, more human and more accessible. When you see like the guys from Scrubs, they get together every week and they just talk about stuff. And those guys are famous and I know them from a TV show, but they just like sitting around talking. And then of course you have a lot of very educational content and kind of everything in between. So I definitely think that it would be beneficial for, for PR professionals, at the very least, to understand the process a little bit and understand the benefits of multimedia and things like that, whether that be, again, on a very small scale in terms of just being able to do something visual and that's going to have more impact, or even something you know like this and saying, hey, this, is a, uh, this podcasting thing is a medium where we can be specialized and capture a certain group of people and create a more organic following that is where we're actually giving them something as opposed to just a following where they're waiting for the next thing to wait on social media. So yeah, I really feel like, it, again, it's always good to be have a well-rounded content skill set so that even if you're contracting out a video or a podcast, which is not always the worst thing to do, obviously, if you can get someone, if you want to do something that, that's a little bit more labor-intensive, you, you might want to, to farm that out. But at the same time, it's always good to understand that even if you're not doing the editing, have a picture in your mind of how you'd like to see that look and be able to give feedback. Say, maybe this could be a little bit shorter here, or maybe we can cut this in there. And again, just having a larger understanding of the different, how different types of media can reach different audiences and can be used for different purposes. Mm -hmm. By the way, the first podcast was in 2005. There you go. I, and that's even longer ago than I thought. But I, again, it was one of those things that people became aware of, I think. And it's weird. It really didn't, it's like it didn't stick at first. And I'm not sure what made it stick later. But now it's, just, it's the newest, not newest, but it's the cool thing now. And it's a weird, like I said, I think it's almost like a, a, a retro sheet kind of a vibe that people, radio has gotten... I don't know how to describe it, but radio is not the same as it used to be. For better or worse, they're just, most stations are just deciding we're just going to, we're going to just play music now. And we're not going to have wonky morning shows and stuff like that. And I think they, there's, there was a, a weird sort of niche to fill. And that's a whole, that could be a whole topic in and of itself. This idea of, again, it, it, it was around, like you said, 2005. It didn't really seem to, to, to take. And then 10, 15 years later, it's kind of off fire. It was, for podcasting, it was a bunch of different things. One is smartphones made it a lot more easier for people to listen to. And then it was just basically a lot of other companies decided to make things for podcasting to make it easier to actually produce. Because in the beginning, it was a little bit harder because of the technology. So there's a bunch of things that helped it. That's true. From a, and as a, as a company like ours that, focuses a lot on technology that that is an interesting way to look at it the idea that it became there was an easy, there were easier points of entry and again that goes back to all the more reasons for anyone but especially anyone who's in our line of work to think about learning that stuff it just gives you just another part of having a well-rounded repertoire and offering you have a client that says they have x message and and if you have the expertise to say, I could, we could make you a great short video on that and or we could do a podcast and, 
and, and the ability to understand that and to be able to it just expand your ability to, to pitch content and to think about different ways of, of either different ways of expressing the same message or different ways to tackle different messages. Your mind just goes there. If you're confident with the tech and with the format, your mind goes there and says, oh, I can do this X, Y, and Z on a video or on a podcast. And it just gives you, it just gives you more to offer. Mm-hmm. And where do you think the video or even content itself is going to be evolving for brands in the next five years? I don't, it's hard to say. I don't know. I don't know how much more content can evolve. There's part of me that hopes you'll get this natural pendulum that'll swing back towards content that is a little bit more carefully crafted. And again, I come from a journalism background and for better or worse, my career has perfectly spanned and for some reason I'm gesturing with my hands, making this wide thing with my hands and you can't see that. But it's perfectly spanned this way that content has changed and evolved. So my first newspaper job was right around the year 2000. And well, obviously we did have what, what we now know as the internet but media outlets, especially smaller ones, like the one I started out at, did not necessarily have even have their own website yet. That was literally being developed when I came up as a reporter. We still just put out a newspaper every day, and a handful of that stuff went online. And we all understood that was it's not like it was a flying car or anything, but we all understood that, that was going to be only getting more and more part of the mainstream. But at the time... It was just print. You had TV, you had cable news, you had radio. And as I progressed through my career, with uh, moving into to really, again, fully online digital journalism, where the website was almost the main product and the print product was almost like a marketing arm of the company. At Entrepreneur, that was how it was. You had the magazine and that was the sexy place to work. You got to do the, you got to do the big celebrity interviews or the big, uh, the interviews with the big moguls and things like that. But at the end of the day, the, the website is where all the money was made and all the, the the real good content was, the content that people could use. And that's when I had that aha moment that digital journalism was no longer going to be just about having a good story to tell. It was going to be about what people could do with the content. And then came social media, where suddenly not only were people looking for things to do with the content, but everybody who had their own content stream now. And again, without sounding angry, old man shouting at the clouds, that was a double-edged sword because everybody had an outlet and then it started to become about being first instead of being right. And in our line of work, you, you cannot do that. You have to be right all the time. You have to do right by your client. You have to do right by whatever story they're trying to tell. So part of me hopes that this the last few years where social media has become a little bit out of control in terms of not in terms of people having their own content. I think that's I think that's great on the surface. But the sort of the misinformation that is out there, which again people are human, but again the company's lack of desire to stop that is troubling. And it's just, and I think they're just now, they're just now being held to account for that, some more than others. 
And but I'm hoping that we'll eventually create sort of a, a more a philosophy of creating content that is a little bit more thoughtful. Because again, right now it's about that build and rush, right? The I'm gonna get this out there before anybody else and people are gonna they're gonna like it. They're gonna we've literally created an electronic way to like things. And I think what that does is that sort of instant gratification of that has taken away from some of the really good thoughtful stuff that we could be doing. And I really, I, I hope as much as I know there's that technology sort of marches over us all, I hope some of that is, is used to, to, to pull back a little bit and just be, be a little bit more thoughtful. There's nothing that says, again, going back to, to being in print with, with this idea that print would die and, and this and that. But either way, the people who create content are not going anywhere. Uh, there's, you still need someone to write and to, to research and to, to really understand what the content that's being produced. And I think that we need to get back to that. And I hope that content will evolve because we've had it this year. If, if nothing else, it's given us a lot of things to think about. Not only it's really opened our eyes to how the world works or doesn't work, especially in just here in the U.S. Again, We've exposed a lot of things about about our society that maybe don't work the way they should, and I think that should be a call for people maybe to to be more thoughtful about what they say, how they say it, and I think maybe I hope that we'll see a return to let's be thoughtful, let's try to help each other out with our content, and maybe not try to, to tear each other down so much. I know that's more of a, a personal content, not so much PR content, but I, I think professionally from a PR standpoint, I think you're going to continue to have to deal with that scenario and I think it'll definitely uh, as things start to improve it's going to be interesting to see how people how media and PR deal with that whether they're optimistic or whether they're too early they're too late all goes back to, to being thoughtful being authentic and it will but I do think it's going to be really interesting to see how brands and public figures and things like that address changes as they as things improve or maybe don't improve as fast as they would like or because again there's still we still have a long way to go to get back to where we were but it's going to be very interesting to see whose message what types of messaging sort of drives that change and again I think we can all use a little optimism but I think it also has to be real optimism that's based in reality but yeah I but going back to, to what I was originally started to say that I'd like to see the pendulum swing back a little bit more to content that's a little bit more thoughtful and maybe just spend some time on it and put some thought into it and instead of just trying to to, to shout over everyone else. Mm -hmm. We've seen books become more popular, actually hard books like books with actual papers, not the ebooks, become more popular again and records become more popular again. Do you think the written word will shift back around? eventually to be the more popular content and everything else will just be filler? I'm not sure about that because everyone still loves their phone. And that's completely fine. I think that's great. If, if having the phone in your hand and, and however anyone wants to read, I'm okay with that. It reminds me a little bit about of when the Harry Potter books first came out and people were worried that 
that, that kids would read about witchcraft and whatever the, the case may be. And my first thought was, look, if kids are going to pick up a book and read, I don't care how they do it, and I don't really care what it's about, to, within reason, of course. But I don't know about a complete move back to the written word or the printed word because, hey, it's, it's becoming – it's not cost prohibitive, but, but there's no upside to it anymore, and for better or worse. There's always going to be a few people that love holding a book in, in, in their hands. I'm, I'm reading a book right now, and it's, it's giant. It's, and it, it, but, you know, it's a nice feeling. There's, you know, it's corny, but it's not the same sitting next to the fire with your phone. So I, I don't know about a full return to the book. And I, I don't know if Barnes & Noble is ever coming back, although I think there's still a few of them hanging on. But at the same time, I think the, the sentiment that goes into that, I would definitely like to, to see that. Just the idea that let's create stories and things like that instead of just blasting people with fire hose of clever quips and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And do you think we're actually hitting that content overload with everything being thrown at us? Do we think that it's just too much right now? Or do you think we're just at that spot where people can start to handle it again? Because we all keep on hearing how we should spend less time on our phones. So do you think we're at that point? And what can brands do to make more meaningful content? That's tough. Because again, the, it's a, the, the smartphone is a useful tool. But, and social media at the same time is, is a useful, very useful tool. I think what we need to remember is, is, is that's what it is. Social media is a distribution method. It is not in and of itself content. And so it's like any other distribution method. You've got to know how to use it. You've got to understand who should be getting things, what to say, when to say it, and whom, to whom to say it. And so the content itself, again, I, I think brands are going to just continually have to understand that you don't always have to, to say something. You, the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese, right? So many brands rush to, to be the first person to say something when something bad happens and when something good happens, but man, they, they mess it up so bad sometimes. And you have to understand that if you don't, if you don't have anything to say, and you do it anyway, you're just hurting yourself. So I think as, as brands, I don't know how, you, how I don't, it, it depends on the individual brand, obviously, in terms of how they can create more meaningful content, but I think they really have to look. So as a brand, you're, all, you're always on this fence of keeping, keeping the customers you have, but also venturing out to attract new ones. And that's one of the oldest, sort of struggles, especially for smaller businesses, very sort of nimble startups. and They get a few people on board and they, they really want to grow. They want to grow fast. And then one of the easiest ways to, to, to try to grow your brand, or at least they think it's one of the easiest ways, is just to really be be out there all the time. And But that can, it can hurt you. It can spread you thin. It can force you into some decisions that maybe aren't the right decisions. So I just really feel, again, it goes back to being strategic and being genuine. Just realize that it's okay to be a little slower if it's worth the wait. 
then on the other side of that coin, it's it's no good to be first if you blow it. And so I think they really need to, I think, especially again, as, but with everything that's been going on this year, it's not the kind of year that you necessarily want to, quote unquote, tell stories about. There's a, there's two ways to look at that. Either you, you tell stories that are about something completely different, try to make people forget for a while, but for a brand, that's hard to do. Or you, you're telling stories that are, that, that have some connection to current events or what everyone was on everyone's mind. And this hasn't really felt like the year to do that because for every sort of heartwarming story that a brand might tell, there's obviously this very dark and, and dour undercurrent for that. For, for every, you hear these stories about, oh, everybody pitched into this GoFundMe so this teacher could pay her rent. Why did we have to do that? So I think as, as things start to look up, and I, I certainly hope that premise is, is true, that I think they should look to tell stories of, that make, that remind people that things are getting better and to show them that things getting better and that they can be better and if there's a way to attach their brand to that then that's great but if there's not then i wouldn't say just don't do it but what i would say is look inward tell stories about people in your company who are, are trying things tell stories that you that you feel qualified to tell otherwise again it's going to look fake so if you know when these when these stories of of triumph and 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 I don't want to say redemption, but triumph and overcoming of everything that's that's been tough this year. When those, when the when the fog starts to lift, and and you have those stories to tell, take your time and, and do it right, and connect with people. Don't just yell out into the darkness. Connect with people. Let them know that yes, our brand is behind this message, but there's people. There's people. Be a person, don't be a brand. Mm-hmm. And for social networks, there's been a lot of scrutiny for them this past year. How will that type of scrutiny and maybe more government regulation affect brands when they produce their content for next year and beyond? I'm not so sure it will. I think of that. And I, I, I don't want to get political, but I think this is more of a current event than a, than a political discussion here. And, this is something as simple as I just read this morning too, that essentially the minute, the day or the minute of, of Joe Biden's inauguration, there's essentially Donald Trump can be banned from Twitter if he continues to behave the way he has on Twitter. And again, I'm not trying to make a political statement there, but he's been dinged multiple times for misinformation and et cetera. And I think brands better look at that. Because a lot of them have, I lost my train of thought there. We may have to start this part over. But because I think you were talking more about the social media companies themselves. So I think they are trying to do their part. And I think that's what I was getting, getting to on Twitter, basically banning. If you are going to continue making false claims, then you're not going to have access to our platform. And I think that is the one thing that they're doing that is is excellent. I, I think when you give everyone a platform, 
that is a wonderfully intended idea to give everyone a platform. And I know that Twitter's not a charity and they make billions giving everyone the platform. But when you give everyone a platform, you are ultimately responsible for, on some level, for their behavior. And so for them to step in and say, look, we understand, we've given everyone a platform and, you know, it's been working now, and but now they see it degrading. They see that, well, we've given everyone a platform and some of them are, are taking advantage of that in a way that we don't like. And so I, I think that uh, they're doing a good job so far on that, in that vein. But then again, some, you've seen a lot of stories about how Facebook has essentially just turned a blind eye to a lot of that stuff. And they've done it half-heartedly, which I think is worse. I think if you're going to just throw your hands up and say, look, we're going to let people say what they want, and we think that you it's up to you to figure out what to believe, then on some level, I think that's acceptable. But if you try to rein people in and don't, then I think that's doing more harm than, than good. But the bottom line is you, you're never – and this goes for any number of other issues in the world as well. It's much easier to to regulate an issue as a whole as it, than it is to try to regulate the way individual people behave. That's just math and logic. So I, I think they're really they need to take a look at that. They they really need to they need to create some fair policies that basically say if you're out here. If you're part of the problem, then then we don't we don't want you as part of our community. I think they need to see, and they probably already do this to, to a large extent. Otherwise, they they wouldn't exist. They need to see, even if they have billions of users, they need to see themselves as a community, and they need to talk as a, they need to they need to avoid the temptation to say we're just letting everyone say what they want, and we think that's great. They need to think of their users as a community and they need and think about what's best for the community because over time i think that will shake out and really make those platforms better because if, if you think about it they started off with such promise and for better or worse everybody wanted to be involved and that's great because anytime you have everybody really wants to get involved in something at the beginning that's great but then it's just human nature they start to you know, they start to become part of, they start to get sorted into different types of users. Some people, some people just want to share pictures of their, their grandkids. But some people, they really do want to do harm. And you, you can't necessarily regulate people and tell them to be nice. But what you can do is say, look, this is a community, and this community has this particular intention and this particular purpose. And this is the, like any other community, this is the set of, of guidelines that we're going to have if you want to, if you want to be part of it. And if you don't, well, then we're not, and we won't have you. And it's equal for everyone for the greater good. And I think, again, I think for better or worse, this past year has exposed a lot of that stuff as well. And I hope they do right by, the majority, the grand majority of people who really just want to enjoy the product that they have and they don't want to see it politicized. They don't want to see it demonized as this place where people try to trick other people. So I think so far that they're, 
Yeah, I will say this. I think they've, yeah, they've definitely seemed responsive to the scrutiny. I don't think, to their credit, none of them has said, we don't deserve to be treated like this. Oh, it's me. It's not fair. I think it's hard for them. It's, it's a huge, there's a lot of cats to herd for them. So I, I think they're probably doing the best they can. And I think that, that overall, if they can really listen to some of the scrutiny and, and see why it exists, as opposed to denying it, then I think uh, it, it'll continue to be, I think we'll see and maybe see an evolution of those platforms as they really pivot towards this idea that we, we don't want to be in a place where we have to figure out if something is true or false, or we have to put up with certain types of behavior. Uh, I think slowly and, and surely, uh, again, yeah, they're seeing the they're seeing the scrutiny and they're seeing how it affects real issues. Again, I think that's been the the difference in, in 2020 is that you really started to see this year how misinformation online can really affect people negatively in ways that matter. And so I, I think those guys are never going to be perfect because, again, they have a, a product with little to no overhead that makes them untold billions of dollars and good for them. But it, it's also, at, at deep down inside, they're old, nerdy IT guys who came up with something great and have probably also been a little bit disillusioned by seeing and devolve a little bit. So I think that over time, they're, they're going to respond to this and It'll be, they'll be, it'll at least be a place where people can, they might still disagree, but they, they might at least will disagree in a way that's a little bit more civil and at least is born from a, an accepted sort of pool of, of facts. All right. And fun question. If you had any budget that was limitless, how would you make your own content? Oh, geez. I come from an industry where in journalism, where there's never any budget. So I, I don't think I've ever even thought about what I would do with a limitless budget, but it would definitely go back to your video idea. I think I would make, you know, crazy Michael Bay style commercials and with celebrities and explosions. And I think all kidding aside, I would definitely go the video route. You have unlimited budget. The, 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 the most fun way to spend that unlimited budget is to shoot a fun video, maybe travel to some exotic location, shoot a fun video with all my favorite movie stars and hopefully get a few eyeballs on it. All right. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, I, I think I've probably rambled enough, but it was definitely, definitely fun. All right. Thank you, Justin, for joining PR360 and sharing your wealth of knowledge on content and social media. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure, and I really enjoyed it. All right. And thank you for joining PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. And join us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Write some meaningful content and see you next week. Later.